You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from that cesspool, otherwise known as L.A. back in the 90s. And I am just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing. And with me, I'm just so glad to have her back. It's Christy Morris. Christy, how are you doing tonight? Oh, thank you. Uh, At first, I was wondering if you were talking about the 602 Club as the cesspool. And I was like, geez. (laughs) No, that's not how no. I feel. No, we clean so this place read. regularly. <laughs> Let's be honest with yeah. ourselves uh, here. New York, n- no, no, uh, and L.A. Neither of those get cleaned up. That's why everybody wants to escape from them. But uh, as you heard, the dulcet tones of none other than John Mills. How's it going, John? Uh, you know what? I'm excited to talk about this strictly because it closes out the Lethal Weapon arc, the journey that we've all yeah. been on together. Yeah. Yep. And I already know going in, I can just sense it. I can just sense that there's going to be some disagreement on air. And I love it. Right. I love it. Could I be. live for this stuff. Yeah. I'm not too old Absolutely for this. Absolutely could be. Yeah. Uh, but we're excited to be talking about Lethal Weapon 4 to kind of round out that series for all of you. But, of course, uh, just a reminder, uh, wherever you are, um, if you're listening to the show, please do subscribe. Uh, let people know th- uh, that you like us, too, by sharing us on social media. Um, we're at the 602 Club on X or on at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, over on Instagram. You can also find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've got the listeners only discussion group there as well that you can find called the Babel Conference. Um, And you can find our website at trek.fm where you can see all of the different shows that we are doing each and every week. Uh, And of course, you can also find us over at Patreon. If you like what we do and want to support us, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team so uh the last time uh we talked about uh the series you know we were in the mid 90s and uh the third film uh was a success and uh interestingly enough they immediately start talking about the idea of you know wanting to go and do a fourth film in fact they talk about the idea of doing the fourth and fifth film and so they work on this script And, of course, this movie doesn't come out until 1998. And so this is an incredibly arduous process to get this film to screen. It takes multiple writers, many rewrites, and they legit don't have a finished script by the time they even start filming this. And so I just wanted to ask both of you, you know, as we're coming into this, we're rewatching it, um, you know, as you rewatch it, it, does this... Do you get that sense as you're watching the film that like this is a movie where it didn't necessarily know where it was going from start to finish because they didn't know where they were going from start to finish? What do you think? Yes. That, th- this is a blender movie. This is a we got some concepts. Let's make it work. I, You were talking about how they were trying to work on two at the same time. It's interesting to me because that echoes Richard Donner's. 
you know, Superman experience where they were good. Oh, we're going to make True. two movies at one time yep. sort of thing. So yep. obviously that's just in his blood. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, the, the connective tissue with this is it's a little weak. Like it's a series of events more than a story. I think that's a good point. I, I would agree with that somewhat. Um, maybe not quite as much, but definitely that there's parts where you're thinking, okay, these are loosely related, but there could be better overall um, consistency in the storytelling to weave it all together better. Um, but I mean, I think that it does seem to have a couple of big points that they stick with. And I, I, like I said, don't feel quite as badly about that. You know, it was interesting to rewatch the movie and to, you know, it's been a long time, honestly, since I've, I've seen this series in general and the fourth one and, and, and to, to learn that that was the case, you know, I wasn't surprised when I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, but in all honesty, you know, it's interesting because I do feel like all of these films are kind of stories based around a friendship. And so the, the connective tissue for all of the stories isn't necessarily, except I think for the very first one, um, always incredibly strong because it, it does feel like more like days in the lives of these cops, you know, where crazy things just seem to happen to them every single day, right? And this movie felt like the, I would say, the second and the third in that sense. And so I wasn't really experiencing, I didn't feel, like a major frustration with it in that sense where I'm like, what is going on? Well, how does this all connect? I, I, I You know, um, in the same way, I, I feel like it was the second one where I maybe felt like that. Where I was just like, there wasn't as not enough connective tissue, if I remember correctly, where it was just like feeling like the storyline was just not doing it necessarily for me. And I don't feel personally like that with this film. I feel like it holds together well enough. And I'm, I'm, uh, the story itself, um, I, I felt like it feels relatively cohesive for the most part. And again, it, you know, to me, the the hallmark of the series really is, is that it's just about these two guys and what's going on in their lives at this moment that we find them in. Um, and I still, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think that kind of still works for me in this movie. I, I don't really sense a, a massive frustration with like, oh, my gosh, what were these guys thinking? Um, and, and why does this movie not seem to connect at all. Uh, well, to, just to offer the counter to that, it suffers from too many characters. I think that a, a good script rewrite, another couple, I mean, obviously they, they had plenty of them, but refining it down and maybe cutting a couple of characters and focusing things so that, I mean, Renee Russo's barely in the movie, so there's no like real payoff for her being with Riggs in that sense. Leo Getz is there just because it's Joe Pesci and everybody likes Leo. And it's like, he serves a purpose, question mark. Yeah, Chris Rock come in just because he's the hot guy. And then, oh, they go into the whole shtick with him and Joe Pesci in the police station. And it's like, oh, well, okay. This is sort of them riffing. And it's like, you know, that's what I mean by a Blender movie. Because there are all of these ideas that are unrefined that are just thrown together. 
And see, I didn't feel it was as, as much like too many characters as there were occasionally scenes that could have just been edited out and the movie would have been exactly the same. Like, I don't mm. think you needed the dentist scene no. at all. Um, no, you didn't. Or the scene with uh, Joe Pesci and Chris Rock talking about cell phones. Yes. Irrelevant to the rest of what's going on. Well, although the cell phone discussion is truly a, a beautiful time capsule for when you had to pay by the minute and everything. Yeah. And it's like, uh, who who knew that it would make you feel so old to say, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. It's like, oh, no. And, oh, and no. how Chris Rock is even joking about using a rotary phone. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, Oof. this yeah. doesn't really hold up as like a, you know, timeless thing. <laughs> That, my gosh, maybe they should make a Lethal Weapon 5 just so that we can see somebody riff about smartphones being dumb. You or know, they'll say, oh, bit. look it up in the phone book. Yeah, something like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ugh. You know, I, I think I think that I'm, I'm somewhere kind of around both of you in that sense that I do think that there are places where the film could have been edited down uh, and some of the scenes taken out. Uh, but it is pretty clear, uh, you know, I think for the movie, you know, this is something, you know, we'll talk about, you know, adding a new cast member specifically with Chris Rock a little bit later. But, you know, Leo wasn't supposed to be in the movie for a, for the longest time and neither was Chris Rock's character. And they become rewrites and they're basically shoving them into the film. And I think there are definitely places where you can see that being the case. And it almost felt like, too, you know where Donner is just allowing these characters to kind of be on screen and, you know, maybe they like some of their improvisations and then they move forward with that. But, you know, it's interesting because when I was reading about how much of a problem the behind the scenes were with the film, I was actually just surprised in the sense that the movie turns out as well as it does with as badly as things were going behind the scenes. I mean, when you start a film and you, literally don't know how the movie's going to end um you know you 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 expect it to be an utter train wreck and i i you know maybe i'm showing my hand but i don't think this movie's anywhere close to an utter train wreck i mean i've seen way worse movies than this that had full scripts from the start you know so like i i i don't really i don't really see that as as being a, a main deterrent but i do see it being a place where yeah there's this this is one of those places where a little bit more refinement in every single area would only have benefited the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the movie benefits, in all honesty. I mean, obviously, you know, the the chemistry between Gibson and Glover and everything. But Donner, you know, has had such a career by this point that there are things that look really polished, and this is specifically a movie he's done three times before. So it's a lot easier for him to plug in. And there are scenes where, I mean, I I believe in my heart of hearts, I could look at it and be like reshoot scene or insert scene because the lighting keys, they, they have that slightly different quality about them. But then you look at, you know, just in the opening, there's real polish to that. And it's because it's an opening that they've done before. So it's like, okay, look, we, we know how to handle this. Um, so... I think the the movie benefits from that. And so you're right that it's not a complete disaster. I think that it's uh, 
tipping my hand too, I guess. I, I think that it's better than its reputation, but a lot of the criticisms that are heaped upon it, I completely understand. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, speaking of the big opening, John, I mean, we kind of, they love doing this where they have, you know, these massive set piece openings happening um, where we just kind of throw you in with the action. And, you know, this one, they're going against uh, Napalm Iron Man, uh, which was an interesting choice. Uh, And so for both of you, what do you think of this as kind of opening this movie and and kind of in in some ways, you know, they also set up some of the the actual thematic elements that we're going to be playing with with both of these characters in this, you know, ridiculous scene. I mean, I think it obviously is a consistent choice this time with sticking with the way the other films have been introduced every time. So I, I thought it was fine for that. Um, obviously, the type of character you're going with here for them to fight against is a little far-fetched we don't usually see something to that level um and i i definitely said oh it's boba fett with a flamethrower um but it was fun um and i especially loved the scene that i forgot about as part of that whole opening of uh him asking murtaugh to take off all his clothes and flap his arms like a chicken so yes i love it (laughs) Uh, I think as a standalone set piece, it works. It absolutely does. I mean, and and this is this is the old pros coming back. They know what they're doing here, and it's like in less capable hands, the scene doesn't play well. But it's it's edited tightly. It moves. It's got humor. It's got character exposition, flawlessly delivered. We've got all of this stuff. We're basically brought up to speed on all of these sorts of things in such a concise amount of time. And honestly, it's a great opening. Yes, it's far-fetched the way they open. And I think that's just inevitable because with sequels, oh, bigger is better. But also, and I might be attributing too much to this. This is also after that stellar gunfight sequence in Heat has blown people's minds open as to what's capable. And I don't think that this is a direct one-to-one reaction to it, but I think that this is a product of once Michael Mann shows sort of how how you can do this sort of like absurd, um, you know, gunfight sort of thing, I think people start stepping up to the plate with it. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I actually forgot that the movie opened like this. It's been so long since I've seen this one that I just totally forgot. And, you know, it seemed like it reminded me in a a lot of ways of those 90s superhero movies and the type of scenes that you would get in those. And and so and and especially because we have this guy in armor with a flamethrower and everything, and he feels like a villain from a comic book movie Um you know, and it's yet it's just out there and ridiculous and wacky enough for you to feel like, does this just happen in L.A. every other day? You know, mm. so <laughs> it's I, I think I think the thing that that makes it work, though, is, you know, Christy, you mentioned the gag with, you know, getting Glover to get down into his underwear and flap his arms like a chicken and all and the laughs that are happening back and forth. But. It's also like you were talking about, John, that the the whole point of these films is the relationship between these two characters and both of them, you know, learning that they're either going to be a grandfather 
or a, a father in this scene is so great, you know, because it, it also, uh, you know, one of the things that I think that happens in this film and, you know, in some ways there's some real recognition that we're moving forward in time with these characters. They're both getting older. Their lives are changing. Um, and in a lot of ways, it reminds me of a much more humorous type of, of thing that you do in Star Trek Two, right? Where you're acknowledging characters are getting older and they're having to come to, re to grips with that reality. And, uh, you know, things around them are all changing. And, and so specifically for Riggs, you know, Lorna being pregnant, Murtaugh going to be a grandfather, you know, Rianne having a, a, a baby, him not knowing she's married, all this type of stuff, you know, uh, Riggs just realizing he's not the young guy he used to be anymore. He's getting older. He can't do what he used to be able to do. Like all of this in, and partly I think it works even better now watching it for me because, you know, I'm that person where so much in life is changing. I'm getting older. I can't do what I used to be able to do. I mean, this is a, a I think this is just a theme that it's so easy to resonate with, especially the older you get. I I wouldn't take that away. I, I think that Murtaugh has always been sort of that character, you know, I'm getting too old for this S sort of thing. I think advancing rigs into the same category is what is intended to make it resonate more. Like rigs is now acknowledging mortality and the passage of time. And that's just another reason why I wish there had been a bit more focus to the script so that we could have spent more time with rigs going through that. Um, because, you know, you go back to the first one, it's his emotional arc set against Murtaugh's that really makes that film sing. And it would have been nice for that to find more of an echo here by having more focus on the two of them. And not just, you know, it, it's even if you just take Leo Getz out of the boat scene, and give them the opportunity to be alone on that boat scene without Leo interjecting, that boat scene is instantly better. And it's it's just one of those things where it's like, because Leo has those punctuation points where he's gonna shoot the shark and then he's talking to the 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 you know the newscaster and stuff like that, it's like you know, further further evidence of I see what they were going for, but it didn't quite get there sort of thing mm -hmm. well and i did want to call out that i like as far as them moving forward with their lives and everything what you brought up matt about how the two of them talking in the opening scene about being a first-time father and grandfather also informs how they might do their jobs differently at this point because suddenly they realize they've got even more to live for you know, not only is it their spouses or, you know, for Murtaugh, his kids, but now he's got a new baby and is going to be a grandfather and wants to be around for that. And then Riggs is grappling with, do I go ahead and get married, even though I'm not sure that I'm ready? And, oh, now I'm also a first time dad. Um, so I think that that also casts this new light on how they're going to behave in the future because they want to make sure they get through it. Yeah, I think the one thing that, and this is a part of the troubled production issue 
is that because this movie doesn't take place, you know, maybe a year and a half after the original film or the 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 third film, I I think that in some ways uh, you do lose a little bit of something because the rig storyline of you know you can tell everybody's older, right? And 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 very clearly older. Um, and so for Riggs to still be struggling with, you know, the choice between moving on, getting married again, all of those things, it, it still works, but I think it would have worked better if they could have found a way to do this movie three years before this, you know, um, and, and, and that's just not something you can change about this, but I think the storyline just specifically for the character, John, I, 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 appreciate you calling it out and i agree with you in that sense that you know that part for riggs is is the is the emotional center to his character right and we really watched him kind of grow and move forward you know the fact that he even you know got into a relationship in the first place uh in the third one and you know now it's that big question of you know oh gosh you know do we get married we're having a kid together you know uh and am I ready to move on? It's like there is a disconnect that they can't do anything about. Uh, I think because of that, you know, this is, you know, 1998 instead of like 1995 or 19, you know, maybe even 1994, you know, you would hope this movie could probably have come out. So, um, but I like the fact that they're, again, they're doing that for these characters and moving them forward and, you know, it's, it's, it really is, you know, the, the, when these movies are at their best, it's when it's really focusing on these two characters. And so again, John, I, I agree with you um, in the sense that, you know, if that boat sequence just had those two guys in it without Leo, I think it's a much better sequence as well. And then Leo can come in later, you know, because there are points in the story where he kind of is helping them with the investigation and all. It makes sense for more sense for him to be there, but this is a, uh, you know, for both of those guys where their daughter and or, you know, their partner is close to being pregnant, it would make much more sense for them to be kind of out on the town or, you know, out on the boat one last night before it's like, ah, we can't really do that because, you know, they could go in labor in any moment. Um, and I can't imagine them bringing Leo to that. You know, it, as much as you kind of like Leo, he's not the kind of guy you're bringing when you're just like wanting to hang out with your best buddy, you know? So, well, yeah. and have a chill, I, quiet I time. That. Yeah. <laughs> quiet being the operative right. word. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you brought it up earlier, John, but, you know, we, we get the new cast member in Chris Rock as Butters and, and making him Rianne's baby daddy and husband. Uh, and, you know, he was actually meant uh, originally uh, in the, when he first showed up in, in, in the script to, to be a, a new character that was actually gay. And they just didn't feel like it was working. So they kind of turned that into the way that, you know, Riggs is making fun of, of Murtaugh uh, and getting under his skin, knowing what he knows that Murtaugh doesn't. Um, and so, you know. How does he work for you? It, 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 do you like him in the role? Do you like him in the movie? Or do you feel like he just uh, takes away from too many things? This is a 
younger, hungrier Chris Rock thrilled to have the opportunity to be in a big budget blockbuster as his star is on the rise. And in terms of everything else, I just don't think the character is particularly successful because he doesn't have a chance to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that you can definitely tell that he is, uh, as an actor, going for it a little too hard, I guess I would say. Um, Especially that they left in the scene about the phones and everything. Um, And I have to say another um, point that this doesn't age well, it just feels uncomfortable, even though they decided not to make Butter's character gay the constant joke about it like at Murtaugh's expense or with Murtaugh constantly thinking that Butters is like hitting on him I think they just take it a little too far to where you're like if I was gay and I was watching this movie would this make me offended (laughs) um yeah I like I I definitely see what you're saying there for me I I would come at it more from the the standpoint that it's just not a funny joke like, regardless of anything else, it's like, it's right. not funny. And so the fact that they linger on it, that that's what really gets annoying. Cause it's like, okay, it's like somebody telling the same joke over and over again. When like the most they got out of the first time was like, huh. It's right. like, oh, okay. Okay. You can lay off that joke now. It's not working. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I think more than you two, I find the character successful but not completely in the sense that I think that like the Leo character, um, I think there are a couple places where Donner needed to step in and be like, Chris, I like what you're doing there, but we needed to be shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, we need you to get to the punchline quicker in that, in that speech you're making, you know? Uh, and a lot of this, I mean, there are places where I just feel like Chris Rock is doing his shtick, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works in the movie. Like, I I kind of enjoy, and I always have, that first one where he's like, oh, yeah, that's how this guy wanted to arrive in America, in the killing section. You know, like, that, that whole speech I find to be very funny, honestly. Um, but the one in the car, when they're driving, it's like, this is set up as a shot just to have Chris Rock riff for a minute and a half. And, you know, let him say whatever he wants to say that's funny and that's vaguely a part of the script. And so there are just places where uh, I feel like it could have been more successful. I also think that um, instead of having the joke that you're talking about run so long, I feel like it just would have been much better to have them tell Murtaugh earlier that this is his son-in-law. And let them get to that point faster so that you can start to kind of build things in that sense. Um, uh, Because I enjoy as Murtaugh kind of uh, warms to Butters as a person and, you know, accepting him as his son-in-law and all. And I think that would have been much more interesting to see that progression be able to work um, a little bit more slowly and even more organically by allowing that to have more time rather than just kind of dragging out this joke like you guys are talking about that isn't necessarily even that funny. Like, it's just kind of like, okay, you know, uh, whatever. That's Well, eh. if you feel compelled to have the Butters character, I agree with you, reveal the son-in-law thing earlier 
And then, even though it's something of a trope, you can find comedy in Glover being overprotective and trying to keep him out of the action because he wants to protect his daughter's husband. And then you can even have funny moments where Riggs is like, you never watched over me like that. You just let me run in. You know, like that's yeah. that would have been a yeah. funny scene where it's like, why are you protecting him? You never protected me. And it's like, oh, you're a grown man. Like it it would have just like sort of written itself sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I just think they just didn't really know what to do with him. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there were moments that were good. I mean, I, I don't want to discount that. You know, I think that I, I did enjoy the car scene actually. <laughs> um, and I, I like when they finally have their moment um, after the dentist scene happens and they walk outside when Murtaugh kind of comes to, and he's like, but we need to talk about this. <laughs> like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. You just sat in there. And I have to say, I loved the joke when Riggs initially said your son in law and then made it about enforcement. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. There. See. There, uh, there's some good stuff that 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 comes from from that whole sequence uh, of of playing. You know that Riggs knows and and Murtaugh mm-hmm. doesn't. And I like all that. You know. Again, I think as we're just kind of coming down to this, it's it's quite obvious that you really need a rewrite of the script to polish all all this stuff. And I do think that these are the places where you can see, yeah, we don't know where we're going. Uh, and so therefore, it doesn't work quite as well as it could if somebody knew exactly where we were going and and puts a nice polish on everything uh, and uh, figures out what needs to be there, what doesn't need to be there, you know, and all of that stuff. And so um, I was really interested in this because I was thinking back you know, at this, we had just had in 97, it, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, where the main villains are, you know, the tech mogul and um, working with the, the Chinese government. Um, and uh, then, and, and of course, having the switch over with Hong Kong being a big part of that. And so then in this film, also using the Chinese connection um, and having, you know, uh, then a huge action star just really blowing up the scene, Jet Li coming on um and you know the whole thing with the triad members and the counterfeit money that they're making and you know all of that i'm really interested to hear from you guys you know we've got all these different types of villains going on in these films and i i wanted to know how y'all felt about you know this villain storyline that's kind of driving and underpinning everything that's happening to Riggs and Murtaugh and their families for the film. So I think that it could have been better. Um, I will say, you know, I thought that it was interesting that it went this route, especially in light of what you're saying, Matt, about tomorrow never dies coming out the year prior <laughs> and having a similar kind of thing with the, the villains being Chinese and things. And um, this one, although that idea is a good one, I think that the initial introduction of Uncle Benny and um, of Jet Li as Wa Sing Koo. Um, it just could have been more 
detailed, I guess I would say. I think that they just don't give you enough initial background about Jet Li's character specifically to make him seem so formidable of a villain to fight um, until you actually see him fight later. But the idea about using the counterfeit money and the, you know, um, human trafficking that they're involved in and um, things like that is actually interesting and something that could possibly happen. But I think that they needed to make them more um, have more of a punch from the get go. I agree. I, I think the they could have gotten there by cutting Uncle Benny and just having Jet Li as the main guy. Just he's just there, like he or he shows up on the scene. However, you want to get him on the on the scene um, and spending more time with him because by the time they seem to figure out what they want to do with the character, it's too late in the film for it to really gel properly. Um, and I think that Jet Li is such a charismatic actor. Yeah, obviously he's a, he, he became a star overseas and he became a star here simply because the guy, he, he's got that vibe, right? Comes across on screen, but I, just like the Riggs and Murtaugh thing, there's just not enough time with him. It's, there's so much going on that by the time you get to him, like it just feels crammed in. And it again, emphasizes that whole idea of like, well, if I cut a couple of things and got to him faster, and maybe gave him a little more room in the script, it it lands a lot better. You know, I, I honestly, this is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, so maybe I'm just in a different place than both of you, but I, I really enjoy, and I, I know I was looking at uh, some some things about when the movie had come out and all, and, and that, you know, people kind of called out, they felt like these were kind of weak villains or whatever, but I found them to be actually really terrifying and more, and in some ways much more realistic uh, than some of the other villains that we had had in the the film. Maybe even I think of the third film um, because this felt really like something that could happen, right? When it comes to the underworld of, of, you know, the Chinese triad um, and the type of things that they're involved in, um, you know, we'll talk about in a minute with the human trafficking and all, I think is, is a hundred percent even more relevant. It seems like today than ever. Um, and so that's the thing I, I found incredibly interesting, um, about this. And, and I think, you know, Jet Li, he doesn't even have to say anything. It's just, you know, the, the action sequences that you can film with him because of what he can do are incredible. I mean, still, I find to this day, the, the scene where he disarms both of them and takes apart Murtaugh's gun at the same time is astounding. Like, it's just great work, you know. Um, and so, and even that last fight sequence, you know, between him and Riggs and Murtaugh, you know, the things that he's able to do, uh, the way he's able to move are just astounding as well. And so I find him to be an incredibly scary villain. And, you know, on top of that, you have him and his people willing to literally kill him when he's like, in Hong Kong, you would be dead. And then he goes to burn down their house and them inside. Um, I find that to be pretty terrifying, you know. And so to me, he's actually one of, I mean, maybe even since the first film, I, I, I find him and, and this storyline to be the most interesting of all of them because – it it's not as over the top as some of the other ones have been. Um, and yet it seems incredibly realistic that these are the type of things that happen. You know, I, 
I think of real world events that have just happened, like, you know, having somebody's house get blown up in, 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 uh, you know, uh, Maryland, right? Virginia, actually, uh, right near where I used to live in Virginia. Woohoo. Yeah. So, you know, things like that. It's just, uh, you know, again, I, I think they're great. Um, and, and I do find it very interesting too, because I think this is in some ways somewhat of a time capsule to be, um, the way in which, uh, you know, the world is reacting to, uh, China now having Hong Kong as a protectorate, mm-hmm. you know, and considering it part of China and the world's reaction to that and, you know, those type of things. So it, this is in some ways an, an interesting time capsule for that. Um, and, um, you know, this is also, I think, before, you know, uh, Hollywood was so hellbent on having the Chinese box office audience. And so they were willing to make movies that, you know, didn't make any bones about um, the things that actually do happen in China. So I, I find that to be all really, really interesting. So I guess for me, this works better than it did for both of you. So, well, I, you know, I, I acknowledge like the, the whole human trafficking thing that that makes sense. That's the type of thing Riggs and Murtaugh are going to go after. Like my gripes really sit again, too many characters and just not getting to Jet Lee. And giving him more screen time. So it's like, I, I don't discount anything you're saying. Obviously, it's it's the the post, you know, Hong Kong handover angst that, that is informing a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's a frustrating sort of thing in in the sense that like I'm I'm not disagreeing with you about what they're trying to say. Like it it it, it seems like such a quibbling little discussion. For me to be like, yeah, well, I just didn't like how they put it together. And it's like, it's, you know, I I get it. I get it. I know Uh, I'm probably coming off, you know, to some people. Sure. No, no, no. And I, and I don't think so because I get what you're saying too. I, I, I I think, and what I hear you saying is that it works, but you see and you can sense how it could have been much better if you had just reworked some things and, you know, um, you get where they're going for. It's just not as successful as you felt like it could have been, which I, you know, I think that's actually, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff here on the show all the time. And I think it's a valid criticism, right? And again, it's another place where the film suffers from them not knowing exactly where they're going and not knowing even where they're going to end. So, um, and this is one of the places where, you know, with those relevant issues we were talking about, specifically with the human trafficking I absolutely wish this was a place where the movie dove into this even more because I really like how, um, and Christy, you were saying this even on our outline, you know, the way that this touches Murtaugh, you know, the idea of the human trafficking, which leads to slavery um, for, for many of these people. And it's still an incredibly relevant issue when you think of the ways in which human trafficking are leading to sex slavery for so many, especially children. Um, and, uh, it's sad that it's even more relevant now, it seems like than it was back then, or at least just maybe we just didn't hear about it enough, but I thought that's a place where the film really could have leaned into that storyline much more, and it could have been incredibly powerful, especially again with the connection you have with Murtaugh being an African-American man, um, and why he feels so strongly about this. 
Yeah, I I felt like that's probably my um the thing I feel that is the strongest character point in the whole movie because it ties these other pieces together um and because it's crossing these lines of different um ethnic backgrounds or um classes in society and drawing you to the conclusion again of everyone having the human experience and that we all deserve certain things. And so I love that it focused on how Murtaugh could still see similarities between himself and these people and took them in because he's like, I know that it's illegal and yet I couldn't just leave them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I thought it was so great that he uses the quote, you know, that's um, so ingrained in American history. It's bring me your tired, your poor and your huddled masses. Um, and reflect so well on how he feels, you know, being someone that obviously didn't experience slavery, but but he can look back and say, I wish someone could have done something better to stop it sooner. And I feel like this is the one little thing I can do now. Yeah, it's it is a it's a great story point to connect with Murtaugh. And just like so many other things, I, I sound like a broken record. I wish I'd had more of it. There's only so much you're going to get, but I, I think that that uh, Glover, his scene where he's connecting with um, the the, patri- the, you know, the patriarch of the Hong family, where they sit down and he's like, oh, you've never had tequila before? You know, and they sit down. That, I think, uh, additionally operates on a, on a layer of, you know, something that's always been, you know, thematically there with these movies about the fact that you know, we're all the same inside sort of thing that like Murtaugh can relate to this guy just as a human being, because human beings are human beings. And it's like you strip away all the pretense and everything. And it's just two guys sitting in a living room having a drink. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that's a very relatable thing. And I, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a good message. You know, I, you always have to applaud uh, Donner for the times when he's, he sticks to his guns and makes sure that those those things land, which, again, I think gets back to even though the script isn't finished, even though I have all of these problems, this is, you know, a set of old pros who know what they're doing here. And so they can still get that scene out of this movie because when they showed up that day, it really feels like they're like, you know what? We got this. We know what th- we know what this one is. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things where I think that the the whole storyline, you know, the, the whole series has really been about family and, you know, the the way in which Murtaugh and his family have adopted Riggs, right? And he's become part of their family and that and that has created a healing process in Riggs that's allowed him to create his own family now. And I absolutely love too, you know, and I think it was actually an incredibly powerful scene. I thought at the end of the movie where Leo is, is talking to Riggs, you know, in the, in the graveyard and he's telling him this story that at first seems kind of silly, but you, you realize he's doing it to connect with him and to let him know, look, I know that I'm obnoxious. I know that I'm annoying. And yet it's, it's y'all's, you know, uh, acceptance of me that has made me be able to 
um, feel like I do have a family, like I do have friends and, and helping, you know, him realize Riggs realize that he can move on because it's not about comparison and it's never going to be the same. Um, it's always going to be different, but that's not a bad thing. It's okay. Um, and I just thought that scene was so great. And I think it really just encapsulates, uh, in all honesty, what makes this series work so well in general is when you're really focused on characters and them connecting with one another. And, sh- and, and, and it's such a natural scene because it actually just shows the progression of these characters' lives and how they've impacted one another. And so, like, the whole thing to me you know, uh, is great. Um, and I really loved all of it. And, you know, also very glad we did not get, uh, Danny Glover in a, uh, bathtub again. Um, so, uh, that, that was actually great. Um, but, uh, you know, again, the, the, the family stuff here really works. And of course the movie ends with it being all about the family because it's just, it's about the larger family of the people who've been making these movies together you know, for so long, and you can really sense that, like, this is a crew, this is a cast that is all incredibly comfortable with one another and loves one another, and I think all of that just comes across on on screen, and it's genuine, you know, it's so authentic, and I think that's the thing that, even if this movie isn't perfect or maybe it's not even great right but there's something about it that just kind of i think draws you in because everybody really it's real it's genuine Mm -hmm. yeah i think too that you hit on a big aspect there matt of them taking moments throughout the film to really focus on those big character beats where they're allowing the moment to kind of breathe and pause and focus on it and not just brush past things. And I think you get that specifically in the graveyard scene. And then also between, like you mentioned, John um, Murtaugh and the patriarch of the Hungs talking together because you need that. You need these elements that tie it back to why we're here that we're talking about the human experience or that we're talking about getting older um, and then about family. And those are the big themes, I would say, I guess that override all the movies. Yeah. The, the, the cemetery scene uh, comes out of nowhere in all honesty. Like it's one of those mm-hmm. things where I, you know, not to overhype the guy or anything like that, but like, that's where Joe Pesci pays off. Oh, yeah. Because that's the moment where you're like, okay, that's why Joe Pesci's in the movie is because he can deliver that scene. I just wish I hadn't had to wade through everything leading up to this. <laughs> um, I wish yeah. they could have found another way to have him involved in some capacity. Because that that is actually a really touching sort of monologue for him to give. And... um you know, it obviously works and it's just another one of those things where it's like, you know, like you're saying, Chrissy, it's a moment that's allowed to breathe. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's just, if you cram less in the movie, then more of those scenes can happen. There can be more breath throughout all of these sorts of things and these discussions and, and moments you have in there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I'm really interested to see what you guys think of this aspect because, you know, we have a lot of action sequences in this movie from start to finish. Um, and many of them are big, you know. Uh, I think right from the start, you've got the big one, and then you've got the boat sequence that happens, and then you've got a massive car chase sequence in this film, and then you've got the finale, you've got the fight in the house. Uh, what did you guys think of the action in this film? Because it really does, and, I mean, regardless of whether or not that you know they've got a full script together, it feels like they went go big or go home with a lot of these action sequences. Yeah, I, I obviously we already talked about the opening one. It's a it's your lethal weapon three revisit, you know, bomb. They, they get a chance to blow something up. So they're like, okay, let's blow this up. And it, you know, it's, it's absurd, but it's fun. Um, I'm going to sound weird here. I like the fight in the house. I like, you know, other action moments. The ending feels indulgent. That last fight feels indulgent. And it, it is something where I, maybe there's somebody yelling at their speakers right now because I've, I've spoken some heresy, but it's one of those moments where I think the lack of a finished script exposes itself because they're shooting a lot of final fight. And yes, you know, your big climactic fight and everything like that should be big, should be a showstopper, should be a curtain call. But at the same time, there's just sort of this thing where it gets a little. Uh, the only way I can say it is like Jet Li gets a little too Terminatory at the end, where it's like Murtaugh gets him with the the rebar, and then they keep fighting, and then they go in the water, and they go, and it's like for a movie that started with a guy in a uh, you know a, a flame suit. And a flamethrower and an exploding gas station. Somehow, after Jet Li gets the rebar shoved through him, and then Riggs takes him, and I'm like, "Oh, he's gonna throw him!" Oh, they fell through, and they're oh, and he's shooting him. Like once they go in the water, it's like, okay, yes, I like that Murtaugh comes down and rescues him, obviously, but that's sort of the moment where it's like once they go in the water is sort of where I tune out, and that's. That's where I think they just went bridge too far with it. And I can see that. I mean, definitely, you know, I agree with your assessment, John, about Jet Li's character just going on for too long. I definitely recall saying at one point out loud, the guy just won't die. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was a little much going to the water as well. Um, and I think that you could say that it was a little overindulgent even just from the get-go with Riggs and Murtaugh seeming to have a mutual plan in mind, but they're leading up to it as if they aren't prepared. Yeah. That went on a little too long for me. Um, yes. But I will still say for me, that was my favorite action scene of the entire movie because in between those moments, <laughs> the style of the fight was so grounded and gross sometimes with the fact of you know the way that Jet Li looked like he was holding Mel Gibson's throat in that one part um, and then Gibson pushing on Jet Li's eye I mean I was gripping my hands together <laughs> because it, it was 
uncomfortable to watch. Even though you know it's not real, you're just kind of thinking that would feel terrible. Yes, it's not something friends do with each other. No. That is very true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. Um, I, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle with you guys. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it Come on, Matt. Pick a side. As, <laughs> pick a side. I, I just, uh, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think for the most part it works for me. Like, I don't really have an issue with it. But I can see the point of, you know, once you go into the water and it, it just feels like... Mm, okay, um, but I think I think the thing that makes it work for me with going into the water, like you were talking about, John, is having Murtaugh save Riggs, you know, and so much of this uh, this series, it feels like they kind of go back and forth and saving one another, and it feels nice to just have this one end basically with, you know, the old guy saving the younger guy, and, you know, um, it being about their connection. You know, um, and so, yeah, I, I think um, and that I mean, gosh, that car sequence chase is just insane. Yeah. Um, you know, where they crash into the building and then they drive through the building and then they go out the other side. And I mean, that just that type of stuff is just insane. Um, you know, the fact that we used to do that in films, we don't do that stuff anymore. Fast I don't and feel furious. Like for the most part. Uh, well, uh, yes, the Fast and Furious took on that mantle, um, but. You know, it's I think for the most part, the action stuff here is like you said, John, these are old pros and they're back at work and they know how to make it work. And I think for the most part, these action sequences work because of it. Uh, And it also just helps that you're gripped because of you've got Glover and you've got Gibson and you care about those two characters and what's happening to them on screen. You know, they've, they've they've made you care. Uh, because of who they are and the way they act to one another towards one another. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I really, uh, I, I think it works for the most part. So in all honesty, I can't wait to see where both of you are going to come down then for ratings for Lethal Weapon 4. So John, where are you going with this one? Well, I land firmly in the didn't hate it camp but also didn't particularly enjoy revisiting at camp. It, it, it's very much a movie where when I rewatch it this time, I go, yeah, there's sort of a reason why mentally I sort of stop at three and then I have to be reminded that four exists because for all of the craft that goes into it and for the, the winning moments, it's a little too eh. And so I wind up giving it a very... Uh, here I here, I become the villain now. Uh, th- this is a two. I wouldn't call you the villain. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> You're thank welcome. you. I appreciate that. Um, I think that it, everybody's points are valid. Um, and I think that it has some things here to like, but I understand where the criticism is coming from. Um. For me, I enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, I think that because there are those saving moments of taking a beat and focusing on something important for a little longer. Um, and also, I really loved the scene at the end with, even though Rene Russo isn't in the movie much, the wedding in the hospital. And then it's to the point where 
they're not Jewish and they've got a rabbi doing it and they're not actually getting married because they don't have a marriage license, but she wants to hear the words before the baby is here. It it was cute. Um, and that even though, you know, I would say Riggs and Murtaugh kind of disagreed at this point about what values they hold with marriage. Um, maybe Murtaugh doesn't, obviously, but Riggs is like second guessing everything. I think that's an important aspect that they're bringing into this of there can pe- be people that have babies together that don't necessarily get married and that's okay. Um, so I, I like all of these pieces that together may not have the greatest connective story arcs, but I think are still good. So I end up a little bit higher and um, give this a three and a half out of five because I think there's still a lot to enjoy um, even though there's some things I would criticize so would watch again I like being simpatico with Christy uh, and giving this a three and a half um, I actually enjoy this movie for all its faults it's one that I really liked rewatching. Um, you know it's one I've always liked and it just confirmed that I continue to like it um, in all honesty you know, to me, the series is one, three, and four. You know, I like to forget that two exists <laughs> sometimes. Um, I would rather watch this than uh, two any day. Mm. And so um, I think that's where it, that's where it comes down for me. You know, it, it's kind of almost like, you know, the Indiana Jones question, would you watch Temple of Doom or Crystal Skull? You know, and I'd probably more likely watch Crystal Skull than I would Temple Doom. Mm. So that's kind of where I land with and this. And now Matt's the villain. Well. And yes, <laughs> all of the heat is I taken know, off of I me know, for I my two star rating. Yeah. yeah, you can come at me anytime. Um, that's what X is for. But <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I. I'm glad that we got a chance to to, to finish out the series. Super fun. Uh, we've got a couple. Uh, we got one more show for sure this year for you. And then depending on when we can fit it in, you know, we'll have Rebel Moon coming out. And uh, John and I will be talking about that with uh, crossover with Snyder Cuts and the 602 Club. But uh, before we get there, uh, John, where can everybody find you if they want to talk about, um, you know, Maybe where you should have more love for this uh, film or just anything else going on. Uh, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And you can find me over on The Nerd Party, hosting two shows, House Lights and Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast. Well, thank you for joining us again, John. Glad that you could be here to, to cover everything. Um, and then uh, I also wanted to add in, you can find me, of course, at Bespin Bell on Instagram, X, Letterboxd. Um, and then if you want to talk to me in the Babel Conference on Facebook. Um, and I hope you'll check out my finished podcast I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And what about you, Matt? Well, uh, you can find me all over the place under uh, MattRushing02 on social media. Uh, you can also, of course, find me here on the network outside the 602 Club with Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, The Artificial Tango, and Saddle Up. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, when I'm uh, not talking with John on aggressive negotiations, you could find me on Owlpost with Dre Kaufman. I always talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But... Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?